And now, prepare your ear holes for penetration as we bring you another great podcast from the Poop Culture Extended Universe. We live in a world with too many accounts, too many passwords, and not enough time to remember which one belongs to what. Luckily, there's Vault. Vault is the visualized approach to passwords. Store all your passwords behind one truly random master password using photos instead of words and numbers. With the ability to store your passwords across all your devices, Vault is making passwords painless. Right now, when you visit vault.io slash PCEU, you'll be entered to win a $100 Visa gift card. Download Vault and enable the backup and sync feature and receive an additional five entries. That's VALT.io slash PCEU. Vault. Make passwords painless. Start. Poop culture. Yeah, yeah, poop culture. Poop, 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 poop culture. Yeah, it's the poop culture. Poop, poop culture. Poop culture. Yeah, yeah, poop culture. Poop, 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 poop culture. Yeah, it's the poop culture. Oh, yeah! Greetings, dudes and dudettes. Welcome to yet another retro edition of the Poop Culture Podcast. So sit back and relax as we take you on another radical retro journey. Coming to you live and direct from the 1990s Cyber Cafe, where tonight you will hear another duel of the decades. Tonight's matchup pits the team of Rick Mancrush and myself, Mark James, taking February of 1986 up against the February of 1996 team of Shawbag 6 and Carlos from the Be Kind and Rewind podcast. Good evening, my lewd, crudes, and gnarly dudes. Welcome to the Terra Dome. What's up? Yo. And here we are again. What up? Well, that was a 90s commercial if I ever heard one. Yeah, yeah, that's why I had to bring it back. It was the pinnacle of the 90s. That that had so many different spinoffs into merchandising and in other areas of pop culture. Well, now they've done it again with Dilly Dilly. Yeah. It's getting annoying now, though. It is, it is, but they did find a way to make it genuine pop culture. My, uh, my dad came over tonight while I was skinning that deer, and he's like, oh, you got some dilly dilly in there. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wow, man. it's a fucking Bud Light. Just grab one. <laughs> so what are we doing tonight? So uh, what's the name of your team? I know last uh, last time I forgot what you guys went by. You guys were the Mama Lukes. You lost, so you're the losers this time? No, you guys were the Mama Lukes. And, you know, I had a different teammate. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you had Bo. I had Bo. Bo lost his beard and, because and, of this yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. That was a, a sad day. Uh, the the flying saucer of that beard crashed. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know, Carlos. What do you think? You want to go with a uh, some sort of '90s movie theme? Uh, let's go with Ben and Lois's Excellent Adventure. Holy shit! That's right. a long. That's a long team name. You can just call us Excellent. <laughs> Ex the excellent Excellent Adventures. <laughs> the excellent or the bogus or the bo- bogus journeys god i'm so confused pick a fucking name christ <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna call you guys assholes <laughs> we'll take it all right there it is so we have uh the assholes of ben and carlos no, you can just call us the black sheep <laughs> the black there, sheep. there ah, you go there we go all right we got the black sheep 
against the Mamelukes. We got to stick with it. Yeah. We're one and oh. No, we are not one and oh. We've used this name before. We are oh, actually two and oh. Oh, uh, but That's you're right. one and oh in this game. We're one and oh in this game, but using the Mamelukes moniker, we are two and oh. So. And we're back to just continue with the supremacy of the 80s over the 90s. And I think it's going to happen again tonight. Oh, you can think. I don't know. We won't know until we end. I guess. I'm confident. I'm confident going in. We did the coin toss before this, and you guys won. But for whatever reason, you deferred to us like we're playing in the NFL in the Super Bowl. The win just wasn't right. It (laughs) kind of is works against you to like not go first so well i am a patriots fan and we always defer to the second half so uh well i am a patriots fan and we always defer to the second half always defer to the second half we're gonna do that all right we might have our success you don't know now there's some strategy involved here i think well at least they're trying to employ some strategy Because in tonight's game, the first three rounds are going to be worth one point each, and the final two rounds will be worth two points each. So maybe their thinking is by not going first, they're going to be able to try to pick up some extra points in the later rounds, but those points might not even be there. So we will see. It's also winner take. It's winner take round. Remember that. That So if we run the table on the first three, you guys may never get to go. I Hey, you know, you can (laughs) go ahead and try to run the table. Good luck. All right, so, hey, gentlemen's agreement right now. We have to be 100% honest with this game because we don't have a judge. So, like we did last time, if you're going to give the nod to the other side, give it to the other side, and we'll do the same. Yeah, they, I mean, the only time we disagreed last time was the news, and Twitter took it for us. So, I mean, what are we going to do? And I know that you uh, you do lobby your Twitters. <laughs> I lobby my Twitters. I posted the Twitter. I posted the, the poll to Twitter. What do you want me to do? You got Russian bots in your Twitter? I, yes. <laughs> it was actually, it was fairly close last it was close time. At, it close at the beginning, and then you guys ran away with it. We ran, eh, I wouldn't even say we ran away. I think we, we were about 10% ahead or something like that, and uh, Bo conceded at that point. We still had another, like, 12 hours left on the poll. Yeah. And he yeah. just but went when Bo conceded, I, I that's what the last time I looked at it because he conceded. So I figured well, we did end up winning. So there's that. All right, guys. Well, let's get to tonight's game. So we got five categories tonight: movies, TV, music, news, and hot products. Whatever team currently has the turn, they get to pick the topic for that round. So Man Crush, we're up first. Where are we starting this off? Um, I say we start with news it's a one point round let's just get them out of the way all right i'll go first all right go for it you know february 1986 there was a incredible story out of california i i, I gotta poop <laughs> you gotta poop <laughs> i gotta poop it's a great pause you know for my news story i just grabbed the poop news story that happened to be from february of 1986 mm, fancy what do you got all right so there was a zookeeper in great bend kansas named Mike Brown, who was praised as a hero because as he was feeding the 125-pound black leopard from the zoo, the leopard jumped seven feet straight up into the air out of its cage. He pounced on top of it and held it down until others could come. He received massive injuries, including his head was, like, torn open. I think that's, like, a medical term or something. Right, Ben? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a serious medical term. Tore right open. Definitely in the books. Right. And at the end of this article, it actually says uh, that, you know, when the leopard jumped seven feet straight up and landed on the top of the cage, Brown pounced on the animal and screamed for help, period. The animal was shot to death, period. End of article. Harambe. Yeah. It was very much like Harambe. But this time, it wasn't a little boy. It was actually a heroic zookeeper, not played by Kevin James, that (laughs) (laughs) saved the day by pouncing on a leopard. So I'm going to bring some poop news into it. And the other little tidbit was uh, just this thing that the... uh, You You only get one, Mark. Well, it's news as as a group. I brought a poop mm. news story, and the other part of the news story is that nah, it doesn't work like that. You gotta, you, you, you got one. You're buddy. making up new but rules, Mark. I'm sorry. It's, it's news. <laughs> you got one, buddy. Okay. You get one. Wait, which one's <laughs> the best one? Is is the pouncing the best one? It's either the pouncing or the fact that the United States, after 37 years, finally signed a treaty outlawing. Uh, oh, what was it? Oh, genocide. We finally decided genocide is not a great idea, and we're not going to do any more genocide. In 1986, 86, they, decided, wow. they decided, all right, nah, no more genocide. We can't have any more of that. That's not right. I was in this world for two years, and I had a, ch- I had a chance of genocide for two years while I lived in this world. It's true. It's true. Just, I was too. Just to be fair, the jury, please strike that from the record. <laughs> We're going with the pouncing. <laughs> for rules and continuity's sake. We got one story apiece. So is that that's where we're going. So we had the uh, the heroic zookeeper. Yeah, heroic who zookeeper. Who saved an entire zoo park. He saved everybody. Yeah. Because if that thing got loose, everybody died. Another interesting note about that story is that the leopard was purchased by a local high school key club for $850. Live? Yeah, they had purchased it at six months old, 16 years ago. What? And so they had this thing forever, and one day it decides, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And this heroic zookeeper says, oh, no, 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 and jumps on top of him, holds him down. The cat's scratching the shit out of him, cutting the back of his head, but he saved everybody. So that's the important part of this story. Way cooler than Harambe. All right. All right. So that's our first story. And mine, I'm going to go with a huge news story of February 1986. And this actually lasted for two months or so and this is Haley's comet oh, right there's was, there was talk of the comet was all over pop culture not only in february but also in january but it actually passed by earth on february 9th so it's a february story uh but for those who are too young to remember like you guys uh Haley's comet is a comet obviously Haley's uh, comet came back around uh no it didn't hold on uh it only goes by earth Every 76 years. So we're not going to see it again until 2061. They could still track it, but it has not come by Earth. Uh, And the last time it came by was February 9th, 1986. With that being said, everyone was primed. Ask Mark. We were little kids at this point. School was talking about it. Everybody. Science class was all about Halley's Comet. And of course, we had the Challenger the the month before. So that kind of took away from it a little bit. But. I think for us, for me in particular, in my school, they try to focus more around Haley's Comet to get our minds off of the whole uh, Challenger thing that happened. Yeah, that's what they did in our school as well. Yeah, so it was huge for kids who were in elementary school. So everyone's primed, you know, to get this short glimpse of the Comet. 
there were Harley's Comet parties. I remember people had set up. It was all over the news. There were countdowns to this thing. Do you guys remember how much talk there was for the lunar eclipse yeah. uh, over the summer? Well, the talk for this was 10 times the magnitude of the lunar eclipse. Now, did, it was everywhere. Didn't they even have religious cults over Halley's oh, yeah. Comet? People were like committing like you know mass suicides for when it was coming <laughs> over and things like that. Well, this had been going on for eons, literally. The first confirmed sighting of Halley's Comet was in 240 BC. So... Everyone's ready. February 9th, 1986, people are peering out their windows for what's built up at this point to be like the most amazing thing we've ever seen in our lives. What happens? It was cloudy all day. Well, not even the fact that it's cloudy. It was the worst sighting of Halley's Comet on record. A total disappointment. Supposedly, it was the dimmest that Halley's Comet has ever been. Oh, wow. And we were just, we fucked. So, and it's not like you could say, oh, I'll catch it next time. Because like I said before, it only happens once every 76 years. So there's a pretty good chance that we'll be dead by the time it comes around. Actually, you know what? I'll be 83. So I, I have a small chance, maybe. Could happen. But now my question about that is, if it only comes by, wait, what, what, every once, every 76 years, you said? Yep. So if it's the dimmest on record, I mean, geez, you don't have to go too far back before there was no photographic evidence or... That's what I'm saying. Like, what evidence are they comparing this to? If it was 240 BC or whatever the last time it came through. Back in the day, which was 240 BC, <laughs> and uh, and the, the other 76 years after that, the way that people took the records down, not only did they draw this thing, but they went on record as saying that it lasted for sometimes hours, sometimes days they were able to see it for. And we were able to see it for like 30 seconds of crap. Right. And actually what they're saying is the one that's going to pass by us in 2061, because now we have this technology, we actually know that it's going to be way better than the one that was in 86. Shit, by that time we're going to be like riding beside it trying to jump on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Haley's Comet, man. Like who wants to pay to be on Haley's Comet? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, in 86, we didn't have that. But there were, like, Haley's Comet lunchboxes. I remember they were selling, uh, like, glasses that you could wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, like, light-up T-shirts where it had the Comet and then uh, the lights lighting up. Uh, you know, it was everywhere for literal, literally about two months, and it was just a colossal fail. Well, just, like, yeah. for the lunar eclipse, same situation. I, I knew people who were driving, like across the country or multiple states to go to like just a viewing area and then it would be cloudy you know yeah. it's just yeah, like it's, i felt bad terrible. for him don't get me wrong but <laughs> at the same time you're like i mean why drive all that way you know what's really cool about Haley's comet though is uh you guys know mark twain right yeah mm-hmm. uh well i know him as you know his friends call him samuel clemens Oh, you mean John, you mean uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, uh, Mark Twain from uh, <laughs> Tom and Hutt? Now we're talking real Mark Twain. So Mark Twain was born in 1835, and he was actually born during Halley's Comet. And then in 1909, he was writing his uh, autobiography, and he told the writer, and I quote, it's coming again next year. This was in 1909. It's coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. And it will be the greatest disappointment to my life if I don't go out with Halley's Comet. Well, guess what? He died the day after the brightest day of Halley's Comet in 1910. Wow. Now, is this natural causes? Is this one of those, like, okay, it's his last day. This isn't happening. 
I gotta like fall <laughs> off this like this, I gotta fall off this. No, balcony. no, it was yeah. As far as natural causes go, he had some disease or whatever. Okay. I don't even remember what he died of, but he didn't kill himself or anything <laughs> man. just to make the prophecy come through. Now, but. that's a way to fucking go out, man. When it feels like you've wielded the power of the cosmos, yeah, your life yes. is complete. You can go now. <laughs> like, I'm done. But, yeah, that's pretty cool, though, I thought. Uh, but that's my news story. Haley's Comet, the utter disappointment that was... It was a disappointment, but an earth-shattering news story. I mean, that was something that the entire planet was talking about. Right. Big story. Just turned out to be shit. Huge. Which is a story all in itself. Correct. <laughs> all right. So what do you guys have? I'll, I'll go first, then. I um, okay. So for February of 1996, it's a big news that we're having. This thing, like, really kind of, like, I remember thinking really hard about this one, even as a kid, being like, this is strange and mysterious. But this was the day uh, or the month that Daniel Green is convicted of uh, James Jordan's murder, the father of uh, Michael Jordan's dad, or yeah. the, the father of Michael Jordan, who was murdered. Um, you know, I, as a, I was like, who the fuck is James Jordan? Yeah, well, as a, as a kid. Montel Jordan's father? <laughs> this is how we do it. <laughs> This is how we kill MJ's dad. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I remember hearing that as a kid, and I was like, man, like, that's a that's a strange coincidence, but yeah, I guess that happens, but then growing up and hearing, like, you know, Jordan had, like, all these gambling debts and, like, kind of, you know, maybe kind of had the wrong the wrong enemies and things like that, so there's always these, these like, conspiracy theories that, like, you know, sure. it could have been, like, you know, some hitmen as opposed to just some random people uh, that did this, so... Yeah, it was one of those uh, news stories that, for me, of course, being a Bulls fan and being a Michael Jordan fan, uh, I was like, "Oh man, I feel so bad for Jordan, for Michael. This is this is crazy." And then as you get older, you know, I've heard all the stories of Michael Jordan kind of being basically a huge asshole, and then hearing yeah. that he has these gambling debts and or just you know, like you said, the wrong enemies back in the day. So I'm like, "There's this possibility." I'm not saying yes or no, but there's definitely a possibility. That some of these theories could be somewhat true. So, yeah, February 1996, that's when it all went down. Wow. So, wait, wait. So, this is the date that he got killed, or this is the date that the guy The got, guy was convicted. The, the murderer okay. was convicted. So, the story's a little smaller. It's not the actual death. Not the actual death. It's so, the yeah. conviction. Yeah. I do remember the... Uh, the pictures that came out of the, I think it was like a red Lexus or something, and yeah. it was down in a ditch. It's like a side of the highway kind of a situation. Yep. Yeah. I remember those. I do remember that. Yeah. But I'm going to take points off from that because it's not the actual death. Oh, all right. Wait, wait, wait. It wait, is wait. a conviction. Hey, come that's, on. That's decent. Yeah, come on. What's the bigger so story? Wait, wait, wait. The conviction you, would you say what or was the more death? important? Uh, OJ running away or OJ's trial? What had uh, more time? The OJ fucking well, you wouldn't say OJ running away. You would say OJ when driving away in a he white got Bronco. arrested, like the day you know within days after that murder. But again, that's a totally different story. It's not even the same one. There's there's a whole different chain of events that went on with the OJ story. With this one, it was like the guy got killed and nothing happened, and they caught the guy and then convicted him. It's not like he was in a car chase and shit. I'm pretty sure that that is a bigger story than a fucking escaped cat beating some fucking guy up. <laughs> Possibly, so. but is it a bigger story than Haley's Comet? No. All right, then. I, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I still have my story. You're right. But is so it, it, is it on negative you. one point worthy is the question. <laughs> I'm on All a right. neutral scale right now. On a neutral scale. 
Uh, February 1st, U.S. Congress signed in the Communications Decency Act, which is the first notable attempt to uh, regulate pornographic material on the Internet. It was actually specifically set into motion to make sure that children ages, you know, below 18, they couldn't share pornographic uh, pictures, videos, blah, 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 over the Internet without being prosecuted. So this was signed on the 1st and passed by the U.S. Congress, and then Bill Clinton signed it into motion February 8th. This was quite a big story back then. Uh, It it has, thankfully, it's something that is needed in the U.S. because there's a bunch of sick motherfuckers out there. That was a really big story and a lot of talk about that surrounding it, going up into it, because it was actually Section 5 of another bill that was there for uh, on the Congress floor for about eight months. It's a big story, but I grew up and I was on the internet in 1996. I was on the internet in 93. What? And I don't ever remember hearing anything about that story. So yeah, it's, it's big news. I don't think it was a big news story. And I don't think it was really effective, I guess. In retrospect, I don't, I don't think the bill had the desired effect that they were hoping, because I think technology changed things so much over the years to where we are now oh, big time. that it's almost irrelevant. What, so you're going to go find kitty porn? <laughs> it's a lot easier to find now. If somebody really wanted to find kitty porn, you could easily find it now, where then it was probably harder to access, so they thought they were going to be able to shut it out completely. Yeah, that didn't happen. There's still scumbags will find a way. That is true. But you're not talking about they. They weren't talking about blocking it. They were talking about persecuting people that had yes. it and to not do Which it. Which is still a big deal because it still happens yeah. nowadays. You couldn't block it. Yeah, so it's still it's happening. Not, it's not the fact of trying to block it. It's trying to make it so these people will go to jail for it. Right. The way you read it, though, I took it as people under the age of 18 couldn't share their own pictures. No, 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 no. Nude pictures, like lewd pictures of. Oh, okay. Uh, I got anybody right, below so I just, 18 I, I was misunderstood considered you. Ch- child okay. pornograph. Like okay, so we're just talking about me. banning child porn. Wow, yeah. it took them to 1996 to ban child porn. That's almost from the as bad internet, as genocide. From the internet. <laughs> exactly. like twisting their arms just to do that. Like, Please yeah. just do this. That is just as bad as the genocide, man. Jeez. So I think what it comes down to, I, I'm going to give you your story over Mark's story. Yeah. That over a, a zookeeper, it's probably saved more lives. I'll give you that. I don't know if either story is bigger than Haley's Comet, though. Okay, but are both stories combined bigger than Mark's? Uh, what do you mean? Like, both, both of our matter, stories though, are bigger than his, right? If, if we had so a if magnitude you had one, one big story versus one little story, and we had two relatively medium stories, we're equal. I've been to Great Bend, Kansas, and it is tiny as shit. <laughs> <laughs> but how is there oh, a zoo? I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, that's a zookeeper. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think uh, this is a worldwide story. That's got to count for something. In like page six of like most newspapers. It was in newspapers for two solid months before. But it was it in newspapers this around the world. News. It was in the, you know, the newspapers in Taiwan and the newspapers in in New, in New Delhi, Delhi in France. And wait, are we still talking about Haley's comet or the zookeeper? <laughs> no, the zookeeper. <laughs> well, like, where the, the zookeeper got that much press? Yeah, zookeeper yeah, is a every hero. T- every he time they hero. told the story, the cat just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> but to, to my story's argument, it has an ongoing conspiracy going with it. That's all I can say. Right, but you also did. You didn't deliver the murder, though. You delivered the conviction. I mean, shit. 
that's all. That's all. I, you know what that's I mean? all I could conjure up. That's that's. I I I made I, the cards that I was. Oh, dead. I understand. We exactly. I mean, you got to pick what you can pick. Our month was light. Other than that, usually what we did for music last month is we went to a third story to break mm-hmm. the chain. So how about that? How about Mark has his third story that he already has prepared. You guys bring another story and we'll go from there. Tiebreaker. I'm down. All right. I got one. All right. Go for it. Oh, no, no, no. You guys start. Well, you've already heard my third story that, you know, after 37 years, finally woke the fuck up and banned genocide. Thanks, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah. If you think genocide's a great idea, not, not right. my favorite thing to do on a Saturday night. <laughs> Yeah, but again, how big was that? Was that like a a, a huge story that sat in the front page for a long time? That's probably larger than the story that you delivered How How big was genocide? Oh, wait, let me ask my Jewish (laughs) relatives. Oh, wait, sorry, I can't. They're dead. Because you also got to think, internet in 1996, we're talking about a very small segment of the population that was on the internet. We're not talking internet in 2018. Now, genocide, large section of the population, well... Used to be a large population. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, man, bring it. Bring it. Find me got? something that can top genocide, and we'll give you the round. I can bring you something that was really big in the United States. All right. All right. February 24th, Cuba actually downed two U.S. planes. It was all over the place because we were still worried about them. What was all over the place? The story or the planes? The story. The story was everywhere. <laughs> well, I'm sure. We were worried about Cuba in 1996. You don't remember that? No. Uh, what were we worried about Cuba for? It was Cuban Missile Crisis Part (laughs) 2. Are you sure Cuba even had planes that they could put in the sky in 96? Jesus Christ. They have cars from the 50s, man. You think they have fucking F-16s? That's what the cars are. The the planes are, F-16s are the old cars. Just with wings. Shawbag, fill us in. Tell us about these downed planes. Give me specifics. So two U.S. civilian planes were shot down over Cuba. It was February 24th, 1996. They were smaller smaller planes that actually we they uh, had four people on board, and President Clinton and the United States Coast Guard, uh, they actually sent them out to get them. Uh, they, they sent Bill Clinton out to get them? Well, not Bill Clinton, but he... He was flying Jesus the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> this story's fucking going all over the place, man. The U.S. Coast Guard did go out to get them, but Clinton said, I condemn this action with the strongest possible terms. Uh, the two planes with four people on board were twin-engine Cessnas, and uh, they were shot down by uh, the Army, whatever it was, Army, military, whatever it is of Cuba. So it was a big deal. It was a, it, that was attacking U.S. civilians. Wow. So what did we do about that? Yeah, did they cross into their territory? It doesn't say that. Well, if it was over Cuba, usually over would imply in Cuban territory. If you're over Cuba, you're usually, you know, above it. So that would be in their If you're territory. two miles into the water, you're in international waters. That's you like originally fucking... delivered that story to make it sound like they shot down two of our fucking fighter jets. And then they, I tried. Then you digressed it to two fucking Cessnas with four people. I didn't have a choice. God rest their souls, but that's like two Chevettes crashing on so the highway. you're going to c- come attack the banning of genocide with the killing of two people. Four. Four. Oh, so Jesus Christ. Four. Sorry. It was micro-genocide. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Micro-genocide. Then what if they could get the micro-machines guy to come in and cut a PSA about that? <laughs> Isn't he dead? Oh, yeah, he is dead. 
He wasn't in 1986. Michael Genocide. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Come on. You Whatever. Give me your honest you guys take. Honestly. Oh, you guys win. That's fine. All right. We'll take one point. All right. Let's go to the next one. Mm, television. Television? Yeah. Right. Let's, let's knock out these bad boys here. All right. Let's do some television. All right. So for my pick, guys, I am going to go with the NBC blockbuster Thursday night lineup with The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, and I'm going to pick an episode of The Cosby Show that got a 35.2 rating. It was huge. Was this the rape episode? That was not the rape episode. Remember I just said music <laughs> and TV were crossing over like crazy. This is the episode where Denise gets into a car accident and rear-ends a limousine that is has none other than Stevie Wonder inside, who uh, ends up inviting the entire family, of course, to the recording studio. Who is not driving. He, no, he was not driving. <laughs> and he definitely didn't see it coming. <laughs> so, of course, all the Huxtables get to record a song with Stevie Wonder. Epic moment in uh, the Cosby Show history. And again, you get to see crossovers between music and TV and music. Maybe this theme will come up again later in the night. We'll see. So, that's mine. How much curry was consumed on that episode? <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Nothing but Cosby sweaters. It's a Cosby sweater. All right, so that's my pick. Cosby Show episode crossover with the legendary Hall of Famer, Mr. Stevie Wonder. Excellent, excellent pick. And I'm going to cross over here and go off the same theme as Mark. And as whack as it sounds, this is a pretty big deal for the A-team and for Boy George. What? Yes. No. (laughs) So A-team... Brings on a musician whose last three albums all went platinum at this point. So even though it sounds whack, this guy was huge at this point. Uh, he had a new album that was coming out that March. So for Boy George, this was a chance to put out one of his new songs on a TV show prior to releasing the album. And the album was From Luxury to Heartache, which actually ended up going silver. Uh, it's a pretty epic TV episode, though, considering... A-Team and Boy George and their fans are not even in the same universe as one another. Exactly. And, you know, it's when you watch it, it's bizarre. But And this is a couple things on here that have probably never been done before. On the show, it depicts just so you would anything you would figure that uh, the A-Team would be in some ho-dunk backwoods town. They're at a country bar and Face sets up this thing where this guy uh, from a band who they couldn't really get. So they end up getting Boy George instead of <laughs> Cowboy George. They have Boy George go on the stage. Of course, he goes out to the crowd. The crowd hates him. They're throwing shit at him. They're booing him. And then he goes on to play the entire God Thank You Woman song from the new album. I'm talking about the entire <laughs> fucking song. Like the two or three minute version of the song. Yes, the entire thing is played. Half of it's in the bar, and the other half is montage of the A-team doing their thing in the background. All right? So wait, it doesn't stop there. Now the bar loves Boy George. They're clapping for him. So what does Boy George do? He plays a second full song. Oh, my God. (laughs) On the episode in front of these country bumpkins. Now they're rocking out to Boy George like they expected him all along. So when was the last time, let me just ask you, when was the last time you saw a pop artist come on a sitcom, any TV sitcom, let alone an action show, and play one full song? Oh, wait, two full songs. Hold on. 
let me preface by saying boy George kicks in the door because Murdoch couldn't pick the lock like he's the fucking boss saves the day comes back on stage plays another fucking full song with Karma Chameleon right after oh my god three fucking full songs in one episode of 18 that tops my story right there because Stevie Wonder only got one song and that was with fucking Rudy and the rest of the Huxtables yeah oh yeah these were it was just him and the culture club full songs fantastic pick top that three fucking songs yeah that's one of the top episodes of the a-team because whoever would have thought of putting mr t and boy george together they're total opposites but people love it together they should have done a sex video together what (laughs) no they should have done a video together okay (laughs) i think what ended up happening is is the uh the god thank you woman they used the footage from a team for the video i think if i remember correctly okay that's what happened with that. Wow. All right. So, so Stevie it. Wonder, Culture Club, A-Team, what do you guys got for the world of TV? Go for it, Okay, man. I'll start this one. Uh, so 1996 debuted the television series VH1 Storytellers. And the oh, very first episode serves. was none other than... Sting. Stevie Wonder. No. Boy George. Sir Raymond Douglas Davies of the Kinks. Oh. Oh, come on, really? <laughs> I, He's yeah, I thought like, you were going to blow me away with somebody, and you come out with the kinks. I cannot say I'm familiar with his body of work, <laughs> before or after. You guys don't know the kinks. <laughs> I know the kinks. I thought you were going to blow me away and be like, oh, Aerosmith was on the first episode. Now, didn't you no, Didn't no, you no, pick no. this gentleman last week as your bass player? Uh, no, I chose his bass player. Oh, his bass player. <laughs> it wasn't the bass player that died. Yes, it was a bass player. It was a bass player that died. This is the lead singer. Oh, this is the lead singer. Okay, I got you. I got you. All right, so the last episode, unfortunately, was in 2015, uh, but they're still in production, and they're still actually keeping them going from what I'm understanding. Um, just just a couple of names to drop. They've had Sting, Phil Collins, Ringo Starr, R.E.M., Def Leppard, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, ZZ Top. And you didn't even say my favorite. My favorite was the uh, the Dave Matthews of Storytellers. Yep. And I actually, wasn't that featuring somebody else? Didn't they have somebody else on yeah, there with them? Yeah, it was uh, Dave Matthews and uh, Tim Reynolds. There we go. Tim Reynolds. I, I mean, that show is still, that show was on at least 19 years. If not, uh, it's, if I mean, they still have plans to go is from what I was reading. Yeah, great show. But, great show. I like that pick. I do. I, I enjoy. That's one of the few things on MTV or VH1 that I used to really enjoy watching. Well, it's a very similar setup to uh, MTV's Unplugged. Yeah. Because they sit there, they play the songs, they tell the stories about the songs. It's a small crowd, and you really get to be close to the actual star. Yeah. Now, they haven't had an episode in over three years. Oh, no. They canceled that a long time ago. Yeah, Ed Sheeran killed that. Well, well that's sad. <laughs> But regardless, it was an it was on for 19 years. Wow, it's a pretty long run for a uh, a show on either VH1 or MTV. Yep. Usually those shows don't last more than five or six seasons. So, all right. So what do you got, Carlos? Well, uh, I didn't have a debut, but I had an ending of a show, but it wasn't quite the full ending. But as a kid, to me, it kind of hit hard. Those who are fans of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Ooh. this is when the Mighty Morphin part of it came to an end and before they were moving on to 
one of the 1920 different iterations of Power Rangers, but this is when the first three seasons were over. You know, this is when, you know, as a kid, this is when, for me, and I feel like most of the generation who love Power Rangers, this is when they got into it, the first three seasons. So, uh, Mighty Morphin, like, this is the first one that they had um, Saban, or Saban, however you want to say it, had first uh, brought the fil- uh, footage from Japan over so they could use that and d- redub over so we can have, you know, our kids show to watch. And, and then once they realized how popular it was, like, all right, well, we have other shows and we can create other stuff on top of this. So they were just like, we're going to cut. We're going to bring this one to an end. And for for three whole seasons, you know, we were just like enamored with this. The toys, the the movies, the uh, 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 the, TV, the TV show itself, everything. It was like Star Wars. Like it was plastered on, you know, towels, dish soap, shit like that. It was like everything it was on everything so to have that change was like a huge thing especially for marketing and of course it was like when uh transformers killed all the uh, optimus prime like they wanted to get new toys in the lineup they wanted to reset and keep going because they knew how popular it was so it was a huge deal because like i said as a, as a fan for me as a kid i was just like fuck so after this there was no more power rangers they were still Power Rangers, but they they weren't Mighty Morphin. They were like Zeo Alien Power Rangers. They were just like every like couple of seasons, they were changed to a different type of Power Ranger. Oh, so it and continued so on for many seasons after. It continued this. on, but this iter- it continued this on a different iteration. Yeah, but this part of it, which was like the most popular, I would say, among most Power Ranger fans. Did you lose characters? You lost all the characters, didn't you? You did for the most part. I think one guy, one or two people, like Tommy, the Green Ranger, the White Ranger, forget what he was at the end. He stuck. White. He like basically went through all like like until now. He's <laughs> fucking ben still just there. Say, he, he was like, I don't know what he was. Ben was like white. <laughs> he was. He was the White Ranger. He was. He he was a Green Ranger first with the Dragon Zord. Good call. And then he became the White Ranger. And then of course he went through all different types of ones. So it's uh, yeah, it was it was a big change, big shift because only one or two characters. Came came out of like the five, the six six or seven characters we had been introduced and everything so it was a big shift and for me i was like almost in middle school so i was pretty much too cool too cool for school at that point when it came to power rangers so i was like all right i'm done i'm done at this point so but uh but i i think it was a big uh, a big turning point for a lot of kids my age just because you know we had grown up the last couple of years um you know with that most popular inter- iteration of this you know, now who's been it's been on TV for like what twenty years, over twenty years at this point. Yeah. So oh, it's been around. Yeah, so, it's yeah. Been a, it, what was the original release date? Like nineteen ninety two or something? It was originally ninety three. Yeah, ninety three was the original date, and I was in elementary school, so I was like, oh yeah, getting. I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to watch this shit. Little little tidbit of a fact: Kimberly Joe Johnson, the Pink Ranger. Loves anal. Graduated from my high school. Really? really? I know. Her, I actually know her brother. He's a bouncer at one of our local bars. Wow. How much older yeah. is she than, than we are? Uh, she's my two years older than my brother, so she graduated in 1989. And you haven't used that contact okay. so we can book her as a guest on the show yet? It would <laughs> never happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Since you you guys brought a, you brought a, a debut and an ender. That really wasn't an ender. But it was an ender. It, well, it, ended, it, it, it was. marked the ending of the original series, which mm-hmm. is a big deal because a lot of people lost their favorite character. Exactly. That's true. Yeah, it was the end of like the most pinnacled chapter of an yes. iconic series. There you the go. That's exactly opening, the way to put you know? it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. I will. I will concede to television. Yeah. 
Oh, definitely. To 96 on this one. As big as uh, Cosby's show and A-Team were. Because Power Rangers was like, Power Rangers like Star Wars, and it was huge for a few years. But I was going to say, A-Team with three songs is pretty fucking epic, though. That is. That is I did epic. not know that that happened, and I, I never knew that somebody sang three full fucking songs. I wonder if Boy George was like a secret fan. He's like, I got to get on this show. Well, <laughs> he had a big thing for face, so I'm pretty sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we snagged the point. We snagged a point on that one. You guys snag a point yes. and control of the board. What's the next category? Ben, what do you want to do? I think we should go with movies. Okay. All right. All right. So I'll start. Unless you'd like to, sir. Uh, No, go for it. All right. So I'm torn between two movies here, but I'm going to go with the one that I think everybody was has at least seen. It is one of the most twisted fucking movies you'll ever see. Released in the UK and Ireland in February of 1996 was train spotting Ooh, epic film epic good pick epic yeah i wouldn't say epic well it's a cult follow it's a cult it is following, a cult following. Yeah. it is genuinely but this is one of those movies that people can still watch now to this day and be like how the fuck did they do that much drugs well they just did a <laughs> sequel to it yeah yeah wow i didn't even realize it was last year that they did a sequel mm-hmm. yeah yeah holy shit um, but it was based off an original book. It does have a pretty good rating all over the place. It was before Ewan McGregor uh, really got into his role, well, roles in uh, in bigger films. He was kind of unknown at that point. Yeah, it was really the start of Ewan McGregor's career. It's, it was his it was, launching pad. Absolutely. So that's my pick. Uh, I do. What about Boondock Saints? McGregor? Yeah. I think Train Spotting was before, wasn't it? Was it? I think Boondock Saints was 1998. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think it was 98. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm almost certain. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right. I think it was 98. Right. Good pick. Good pick, Carlos. What do you got, man? All right. Well, uh, this one I know you guys have seen, and a lot of people listening have probably seen. Uh, February 16th of 1996 is a, a cult classic, Happy Gilmore, with uh, Adam Sandler. Never seen it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> the price is wrong, bitch. <laughs> you, I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? No. <laughs> Epic film. $41 million at the box office on $12 million, which isn't like crazy numbers, but for an SNL movie, that's pretty good numbers. That's enough to say, hey, this is a success. And this is, of course, in 96. We're in the peak DVD era. So right, was it DVDs in 96 yet? We're still VHS. We're still VHS. So, but still, this is the market was it was still booming. So this you know went crazy on the, the VHS market. And, of course, DVD sales... Uh, as well so this one and of course all any any boy from the age of uh you know 11 to whatever age quotes this with their friends day in and day out so i feel this movie has an everlasting effect even though adam sandler has veered off the path a little bit recently i feel these (laughs) these are these are the prime (laughs) ones we always will go back to when we say oh i like adam sandler but i really love you know happy gilmore billy madison Madison. yeah we'll start naming these first three off so and happy gilmore i think of the first few he put out stands out the most even though i am a little bit more favor to billy madison but happy gilmore is still like for a back-to-back like he he knocked it out of the park yeah i i am totally with you on that i love happy gilmore but Billy Madison, a little bit better. 
mm-hmm. little bit better. It's no bullet to the head. <laughs> oh wait, no. Was that what it was called? Was it bullet to the head? Which one? I don't know what you're. What are you talking about? <laughs> you go. You laugh. You don't even know what I'm talking about. It was the movie with uh, him and Damon Wayans. Oh no no no. Uh, bulletproof. Bulletproof. Yeah. bulletproof. Bulletproof. Yes. <laughs> Bull to the head was with uh, with Stallone. Stallone. Yeah, I was like, that came out like three yeah. years ago. I think. Well, that that's was what I thought you were talking about. I'm like, oh, it was, it was no fucking Stallone movie. <laughs> I was like, no, it definitely was not a Stallone movie. <laughs> they should do a movie together. Stallone. That would be awesome. So yeah, ha- Happy Gilmore. I think Happy Gilmore would be a, a good standout. Uh, Adam Sandler also created. Happy Madison Productions, February 27th. Two weeks oh. after that was released. Terrific. Jury, jury. That's fine. That. I, I mean, we're going with movies, but I'm just saying there was a nah, big production it's, it's company that came out of that movie. All right, here we go. All right, got my lube, got my tissues here. All right, now what site are we going to use today? Oh, shit. Is that recording? Well, hey, fellow poopers, it's Mark James here from the popular Poop Culture Podcast. The next time you're feeling the groove, head on over to camsoda.com. It's today's digital strip club. Camsoda has thousands of amateur girls next door and all the hottest porn stars today, including Danny Daniels, Tori Black, and Brandy Love. Guys, there's 24-7 access to shows right from your computer, your phone, even your tablet. There's no subscription or rebilling, and the best part is it's totally free to try. They even give you free tokens. Just head on over to camsoda.com backslash podcast. That's C-A-M-S-O-D-A dot com slash podcast. All right, Man Crush, start us off. What do we got movies? All right, I'm going with a movie that I played during Schlock and Awe. Back in October, for those that aren't aware, Schlock and All was a horror movie marathon that we held at the PCU headquarters, and it was fucking awesome. Ben was there. I was. So uh, he might remember this flick. This was released on February 21st, 1986, and it spurned off a few inferior remakes. Uh, Michael Bay remade it in 07. It was a load of dog shit. Uh, they had a sequel to it that came out in 2003 with the original character. I'm going to go with the Rucker Hauer, C. Thomas Howell joint, The Hitcher. It's a good movie. All right. Yeah. So uh, this took in about $6 million in 86. So that equates to about $13 million today, which is pretty respectable for a horror movie, especially in 1986. Uh, that said, it was it had a pretty good following. Uh, it was a great rental, and it was always on HBO growing yeah, up. It was. This movie is great. Uh, it gets right to it. I mean, right meat and potatoes, Howell picks up Rucker Hauer, and the movie's off to the races, man. It, it's as brutal as it gets for a thriller. Uh, I wouldn't really call it a horror, but even though that's what it's categorized as, but it doesn't beat around the bush. It just it gets right to it. Uh, the writer, Eric Red, he actually lived in New York, and he was commuting. He was moving to Austin, Texas, and during his trip, Driving across country, he did the same thing as they did in the movie, which is uh, C. Thomas Howell has a, uh, a drive-away car, which was big in the 80s, where you could pick up a car from somebody and use it to drive it wherever destination was going to, and it's kind of like you were using it to move. Right. And while he was driving, the uh, the Doors song, uh, Ra- Riders of the Storm, came on. Fucking great song. It inspired him to write the movie because he thought, what better song to, to begin a movie on uh, with somebody driving cross country and a killer chasing him 
So that's how it kind of spurned off. And just speaking of HBO, like I said before, it was on HBO all the time. It was actually released by HBO Pictures because Fox had rejected it. And just about every other movie uh, production company out there rejected it because of two brutal scenes in the movie. Uh, One I'm not going to spoil because I want you to go see the movie. One I will give away, though. There's one portion where uh, there's a finger that gets cut off and it's on a hamburger. The original uh, scene, it's actually supposed to be an eyeball. Oh, that's on that hamburger, but they had, they made him pull that and he pulled that. But the other scene that I'm talking about is even more brutal. And that's still in the movie. It'll shock you if you've never seen it. Nice. It was definitely good. I remember watching it as uh, when I was young, cause it was constantly on HBO. Oh, it was so worse than big trouble TV. in little China. The, uh, the, like I said, though, it did make sequel. It did have the sequel. See Thomas Howell was in the sequel. It came out in 03. And then, uh, Michael Bay remade it with entirely different actors of course, change shit up, put some robots in there and explosions, and it was a fucking piece of crap. Was C. Thomas Howell uh, in the original? Yes, C. Thomas Howell was the original. Uh, he's main character. So he was in the first and the second, so you just spoiled it for everyone who hasn't seen the first one. <laughs> <laughs> no. Whoops. Maybe it's I don't know so how dream. I missed that for me watching so much HBO growing up. I missed it's this a fucking one. great movie. It's worth your time. Yeah, I'm going to have oh. to. Wait, what did you say the numbers were on yours? Uh, it took in $6 million in the box office in 86. So that's uh, $13 million today. Is that just domestic? Yeah. Now, is this okay. one of those, like, underground horror movies that, like, gets shown at a bunch of, like, you know, like you no, said, this screeners? Was world, this, this was a uh, worldwide big one? No, this is a worldwide this release. This is an 800, okay, yeah. 800 theater release. Because I don't watch very many horror movies, so that's why I'm like out of the loop on. Yeah, on this Rucker Howard and C. Thomas Howell at the time were major stars. I mean, this was yes. a especially big C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, coming. He had Red, a string of movies. Red Dawn, and he was a pretty hot commodity in the '80s. One of Mark's favorite movies, Soul Man. I love Soul Man. So Have it on DVD. Man. Not as good as Red Dawn. <laughs> How he goes out in Red Dawn is one of my favorite death scenes of all time. Where he just backs himself up into the rocks. He's got the two RPGs and one in both hands. You know, because you know you can hold firing at nothing, <laughs> right? No, he was firing at some planes. But I mean, you're going to launch an RP. You're going to hold an RPG, one in each hand, and fire them off like it's fucking uh, airsoft well, guns. It, yeah, no. you're also against a rock, which Backblast Area was not secure. Yeah, he would have. <laughs> he would have fucking torched himself. He would have been dead. <laughs> So, all right. So for my pick, again, we're seeing the theme of music and movies and TV all intertwining because my movie, much like Rick Mancrush's, was inspired by a song. This was inspired by the psychedelic furs song, Pretty in Pink, because, of course, the movie Pretty in Pink, written by John Hughes, came out in in February of 1986. Pinnacle movie of the 80s. One of John Hughes' most beloved films, of course, starring Molly Ringwald, Harry Dean Stanton, John Cryer, James Spader, and Andy Potts, not to mention Andrew McCarthy in one of his best performances. That's right. And uh, this movie was just so epic. It really, unlike some of his other movies, I thought Pretty in Pink dove more into current U.S. pop culture. Um, even had a cameo by Dweezil Zappa in the movie, who was actually dating Molly Ringwald at the time. So they're trying to work in different cultural references into the movie. 
Yeah, the budget was a measly $9 million, and the box office in 1986 was $40.4 million. Ooh, that's a big fucking movie. That's a huge big hit. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's still, a, it's still a huge hit. They still play it on TV all the time, and uh, to this day, considered one of the greatest films of the 1980s. Pretty in pink. And that kicked off that whole Hughes streak. It did. Well, it didn't kick it off, but it was in the midst of it. You know, you had Breakfast Club, and you had this. Ferris and you Bueller's had, Day uh, Off was yeah. uh, the same year. It was 1986 as well. Excellent, excellent. All right, so let's get down to the brass tacks here. All right. So Pretty in Pink is definitely the biggest movie out of all of them. I have to say that. All right. I, I'd agree with that. Train Spotting in the U.S., Grossed sixteen million dollars in the box office. Happy Gilmore grossed about forty-one million. So they were both pretty damn popular. Uh, I wouldn't say Train Spotting was that popular, though. I don't know if that even had a theatrical release all over the nation. No, Train Spotting got bigger. It did in July. It's, it's, train Spotting was a slow build here until July. Yeah. Right. It was released overseas to a huge acclaim. In February. That's like one of them artsy movies. That's like a Cannes movie. Right. When Train Spotting got big is when it hit the home video rental market. Much yeah. like mm-hmm. Clerks and a lot of other movies that came out in the early 90s. Is They exploded once they hit video rental stores. Happy Gilmore, I think, is almost on par. With Pretty in with Pink. Pretty in Pink. Yeah, they're both. And that's what I was about to say. It's pretty close. Because Pretty in Pink is memorable for sure. Because John Hughes makes it memorable. Those movies themselves with the emotions and, like you said, the commentary on things make them memorable. But are are, they, are people quoting them like they are Happy Gilmore, like your friends, and like you can let's, quote let's it to like, it anybody? Easy. Let's make it easy like yeah. we did the last time. Let's take it to the box office for February of your year. Okay. Let's just do it like we did it last time. We're both pretty even keel right now. It's too hard for either side to pick. So let's just look at the movies that came out in your month and year and the movies that came out in our month and year. All right. So February 86, this is what we got. We had FX that came out. And I'm just going to read the ones that were big. We had Hannah and Her Sisters, which is a big movie. Took in forty million bucks, which is one of the biggest movies of the year, actually. Uh, Delta Force, which was probably Canon's best movie ever. Yeah, probably production quality wise, it probably was. Yeah, uh, Quicksilver. Kevin Bacon came out that month. Kevin Bacon on a bike. On a bike, <laughs> being a messenger. Fucking Bacon. And you had Paul Rodriguez in that movie too. It was a good flick. Uh, you had Wildcats. Goldie Hawn, another big. Big film with uh, Woody Harrelson was in. Then we moved down a little bit more in the month, and we had uh, Nine and a Half Weeks with Mickey Rourke, another big film. And to and we also had one of Mark's favorites. We had House. Oh, that's a great came movie. out at the end of the month. William Cat, friend of the program. William Cat. <clears throat> and I'm am I missing a movie here that came out? That just about does it. That wraps us up, I think. All right. So we had Black Sheep, which had a huge opening weekend, like I was saying before, almost 10.6 million. Then we had Broken Arrow, which actually led the box offices for two weeks. Not uh, starting with opening weekend. <laughs> what? It's a piece of shit, yeah. though. It is a piece of shit, <laughs> but it was it made 15.5 million dollars the first weekend, and 11.7 the next. 
It was a pretty big movie. There's nothing else um, out. <laughs> so where, where people the, fun, the funny thing about this is what I was going to say is John Travolta went on to uh, face off and then Christian Slater went on to an uncredited uh, an uncredited piece in like uh, Austin Powers. Right. <laughs> Wait, was Hard Rain before or after uh, Broken Arrow? Oh, that's a good question. I have no idea. Because he had that was where they were trying to bring him back. And it just did not work. Right. And it's happened. Christian Slater's had like a thousand chances. And the love interest yeah, of Christian Slater in Broken Arrow is the exact same love interest that he shared in Pump Up the Volume, which was an even better movie than Broken Arrow. Hmm. All right. So what else, what other movies? Did uh, you have? There was the movie Beautiful Girls, which came out in '96. Yeah, it's about a bar. Eh. It is. Um, there's also we have the executive executive decision. Executive decision with Kurt Russell. Rumble, uh, rumble, off, rumble in the Bronx. Seagal way too Rumble early. in the Bronx. We have Ooh, the Never one. Ending Story three. <laughs> uh, now Rumble in the Bronx. That was the American release of that because that was actually out before that. Right overseas. They had dubbed okay. it. We also have uh, Gulliver's Travels, Project Elf. What? Yeah, it was a movie about Elf. All right, so that's not good because that's <laughs> a good almost ten years after Elf. Yep. That is about it, I would say. So the big mm-hmm. ones were Happy Gulliver's Gilmore. Travels, Black Sheep, uh, Happy Gilmore, Train Spotting, and Rumble in the Bronx, Executive Decision, Broken Arrow. Oh, broken Arrow. Man. Yeah. Fuck. Although those made money, a few of those are pieces of shit. They are yeah, pieces I mean, of yeah, shit. Yeah, but they, find they, a way but to they make are money, play, piece of shit that are played on TNT, TBS, <laughs> over and over and over. They are a lot of them are pieces of shit, but when you look at just Black Sheep and Happy Gilmore in the same month, that's that's. I don't know if Black Sheep Black Sheep wasn't as good as you know. I had a little trivia on that that they wrote that script in just a few days because uh, Chris Farley's commitment contract was going to end, and if they didn't have a script, that they were going to sue the writers. So that's when they came up with the script for for Black Sheep, and they didn't even really. They didn't do any like rewrites. Basically, they just kind of oh, basically with that. came out with the same movie as Tommy Boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was just a fucking same movie. Exactly. All right. So if we if we want to go even further, Black Sheep brought in thirty two million total. Is I, that your, your I thought next we're, biggest? I thought we up? weren't going numbers. Well, if you guys want to like no, broken go to arrow, next level. Broken arrow, broken arrow was like 150 that. million. Yeah, broken arrow was huge in the box. 150. Wow. All right, million. I'll, give, I'll give you guys movies because we. I don't think uh, even with conversion. Yeah, there's, we're still not going to top broken arrow. I mean, it was a complete piece of shit, but it brought <laughs> but so much money in the box office. It did. It did. It was. It, it, big... like, it was such a bad movie. I couldn't choose it. It had NFL Hall of Famer Howie Long. That's right. How could you go wrong? It fucking did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. So you guys win movies. Yeah. Even converted, our biggest one's only doing 90 million. That's true. All right. So you guys pick the next category. We got two more to go. All right. So this is our first two-point round, right? Yep. Yep. All right. So, uh, Carlos, I picked the last one. It's it's your call, my friend. Let's let's, let's rock out music. You got it. Uh, Released albums in 1996, February. February 13th, Tupac released his fourth studio album of All Eyes on Me to $550,000 worth of revenue in the first week. Um, it, uh, they didn't release uh, many singles off of it right away. So his big single actually came in the summer. But 
that album dropped on February 13th, along with a couple of other big albums right around it. Uh, what? As what? for what? Bill, what? what? Just one album. Just one album. I wasn't going to say any other worry, albums. But I was going to say, um, this CD is very well known for a lot of songs, but specifically, California Love, How Do You Want It, are the two big ones that I remember. And uh, there was a couple of other ones where he collaborated with with Dr. Dre and a couple of others. But yeah, it sold 566,000 copies the first week. Wow. Man, you guys, you better be bringing it, Carlos. All right, I think I am. So, for uh, February 13th of 1996, this one's another iconic. We're keeping in the hip-hop range. Uh, another iconic with this uh, trio. Everyone was singing this part. Ladies, guys, every time you heard the song on cassette, I'm going with the Fugees, the score. Oh, this is, came out love that album. in 1996 in February. So, uh, and you know, this, of course, had the uh, Killing Me Softly, Ready or Not, no Woman, No Cry, her cover of that, like some true classics that still get played in clubs on old school hip hop classic, like radio stations all over the place. So this album definitely is an all time classic. And ironically enough, it released the same day. Yeah. Was it the exact same day? Okay, 13th. Yeah. Yeah. So two iconic. The exact same day. Uh, albums in one day. All right. Let's see if we can top that man crush. All right, Ben, we did it. All right. I'll go first on this one. So for this one, I'm going to go with a movie soundtrack that came out in February of 1986. This film soundtrack has been rated as one of the best in modern cinema history. It even features a re-recorded version of the song by the Psychedelic Furs, which gives it a namesake. Yes, that's right. I am doubling down. We are going with the soundtrack for the movie Pretty in Pink, which in itself is amazing because the title track off of that uh, the big hit, If I, if You Leave, by OMD, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, wasn't originally supposed to be the song for that, but because John Hughes changed the original ending of the movie, they needed a new song that fit the new theme. So at the last minute, OMD wrote this song and recorded it, and it was a huge hit. Uh, it was one of three singles off this movie soundtrack that was released. Pretty in Pink soundtrack. It's got Suzanne Vega, In Excess, The Psychedelic Furs, New Order, OMD, of course, The Smiths, Danny Hutton Hitters, who was, uh, I mean, Danny Hutton was a huge pinnacle uh, American singer-songwriter who was best known for his uh, time with Three Dog Night. So a lot of great, at the time, staples in 80s rock and roll. And they stuffed them all in this album, and it really reflected what we were hearing on the radio at the time, because this wasn't just a soundtrack to a movie. It was the soundtrack of what was being played on the radio at the time. So pinnacle soundtrack of the eighties, pretty in pink. That's my pick man crush. All right. With my music pick, I'm going to go with something by a pretty recognizable band. Hopefully you guys will know them. This album was the band's third studio album. However, this was the first album that was released on a major label. And it's what probably began to make them a household name, at least in the uh, the metal genre, metal fans and stuff around that period. This is my favorite album of the band. Sadly, it's their last album with their amazing bassist, who was killed in a tour bus accident. Ah. And the ah. man I'm referring to is the guy that I drafted in my deceased legends band, The Ghosts, last week. 
And that man's Cliff Burton. And the album was Master of Puppets. And the band was Metallica. And that album is six times platinum, selling over six million <laughs> copies. Yeah, it's really... Yes. A lot of people say it's the greatest Metallica album ever. Uh, over the Black album. Not a bad song. The entire album, Battery, Master of Puppets, The Thing That Should Not Be, yeah. Welcome Home, Sanitarium, Disposable Heroes, Leper Messiah, Orion, Damage Inc. Every single song on this album is like metal royalty. Yeah, I think there's only two or three tracks on the album that are not on their greatest hits album. Probably there. This is my favorite album of the band. Yeah, I am now upset that you got to pick this one because now I have to vote for you on that one because it's actually not my favorite Metallica album. It's not my favorite Metallica album, but it's definitely one of my favorite albums to listen to, especially if you want to get pumped up, you want to get pumped the fuck up or want to do some working out or you know do some sport or something like that. This album was I, I just remember like back in the day i'm like man the bass is really low on this and then to come to find out they find this is uh uh cliff was you know a- after cliff what was it in sanitarium or uh those albums when they're turning the bass down on what's his face um uh, kirk kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah but with this one i was like oh man cliff knows what he's doing he plays that bass like a like an actual like solo on a guitar the way he fucking ripped it out oh my god like battery Oh, oh my god you just want to kill somebody every time you hear that song yeah it's such an incredible album. my actual favorite metallic album was ride the lightning uh I, it's also a great album, i liked it but... because it tended to be a little more melodic and i thought that was kind of cool mm-hmm. from such a heavy band but then master of puppets was just pure aggression and yeah fantastic album fantastic pick we we got this round i'm calm I'm and everybody knows metallica now i mean then Metallica was like, you'd see people with Metallica shirts, you know, back in the late 80s. Yeah. And it wasn't that upper echelon band just yet. Once Actually, once a Black album came out is when, you know, they hit MTV and, er, yeah, everything, like, exploded. I actually didn't like them after that. Same here. But everything prior, thumbs up. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, me too. All right, so who wins this round? I mean, I, my vote's on Metallica just because, yeah. Yeah, I think a, it's safe a to solid say we, release. we took this one. I mean, Pretty in Pink soundtrack. Yeah, okay, maybe I don't think it outdoes. I don't think that outdoes Tupac. Tupac sold yeah. so many copies, and I understand that you guys are, are favoring uh, the, the 80s Metallica, and I do too, but Tupac's album was massive. It, it was. was. It was, it was. fucking I massive. I think you're think discounting it, was, it because I you guys love that album so much. It's true. It's, yeah, because what they say it went platinum just in just like four hours or something like that. But did it go so. six times platinum? <laughs> Dude, it sold over 10 million copies. All right. How many copies did Master of... I mean, Tupac is, Tupac is pretty iconic, too. Tupac versus Metallica. This is as... Well, I mean, as of January 2014, it sold 10 million total copies. Wow. It's a big album, dude, and it... And I understand, and I and don't get me wrong, I fucking love Metallica, but we're going, we have to, we can't go by the genres we love, we have to go by the actual numbers. We have to go by, the, by actually how well it was received and how much it sold. It's a good, it's a good argument. And uh, Tupac, I mean, Tupac is just as influential too now as Metallica is. You know, people still reference Tupac, use him as a re- uh, an influence to get into music and other things, so... All eyes on me, and that's the only out. And that's like, if for people who weren't rap rap fans, they knew all all eyes on me. 
uh, we're going to the note of about just about 13 million copies. So 4,578 and 7,750,000. Yeah, about 13 million copies, Master of the Puppets. It's not a Black Album. Black Album was close to 40 million, but... And how much was All Eyes on Me, you said? 10. Hey, then, I mean, you got it. It was 10 million that All Eyes on Me sold? Master of Puppets beat him by 4 million albums in 10 years earlier. And those numbers are kind of skewed because the music market, there was more... More kids, I think, buying music in the in the mid '90s than there were in the mid '80s. Oh, for sure. Because and everything was cassettes, right? Just population wise, numbers alone. You know that market had grown so much. I mean, technically, it would be three against one, so that's fine. You guys take this round. All right. So, what does that make the score now? It's three to two. So we gotta win this next round. Yeah, whoever wins the next round wins. All All right. I feel confident on this next and one. And we only have one category left, and that's, that's Hot right. Products. Hot Products of 1986, Man Crush. Start us off. Take us home, man. Take us home. All right. I got the Family Computer Disk System, a.k.a. the Famicom Disk System in Japan. <laughs> How's that? Wow. Wow. <laughs> the Famicom? Not- <laughs> did, that, did that ever go by another name? Some people might know better. So Nintendo released the Famicom Disk System, a system that was ahead of its time. And that system was released with the following games. And this is going to lead me to my hot product. Baseball, Golf, Mahjong, Soccer, Super Mario Brothers, Tennis, and drumroll please... It was also the release date for The Legend of Zelda. Uh, wow. That's tough. That is That's tough. really roughly, tough. Roughly a year later, Nintendo released it to the cartridges that we know, but it was the first title game to be included on cartridge with the internal battery so you could save the game. Yeah. That was huge. That revolutionized gaming not only the style of gameplay the ability to save like that changed the way that games would be made forever we're talking about the cartridge game but the actual game itself is influential uh when you talk about uh gameplay it spawned even though it's not really an rpg it spawned the entire rpg market yeah from it, that point it, on. it is an rpg it's an action it, RPG. It, it, you know it, it's the, it, it was is, the actual birth not... of the original action rpgs that we know now. So it sold, you know, like six and a half million copies. And this is back then. And the game had sequels, prequels, spinoffs. And it's one of the most popular games of all time. And that's my what's hot item for February 1986. Wow. That's huge. And matter of fact, that was the exact same hot item I had. No was, shit. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Thank God I came with backup. And I came with a lot of backup. And unfortunately, though, my backup is all is three and three-fourths inches tall. But there's a lot of them. His dick. And, and that, no, it is not my dick. It's close, though. We are talking about the little product that you guys may have owned one or two of called G.I. Joe's. They were huge in February of 1986. Wait, wait, wait. Did they debut? They did not debut, but they were at their pinnacle. In 1986, because they had just come out with Season 5, Series 5, and Series 6, 
which included a huge turning point in the G.I. Joe franchise because Series 6, uh, Series 5 in 1986 is when they started coming out with a lot of the action figures um, that supported the newer series and the changes that we saw in the G.I. Joe franchise when they came out with the movie. You know, we had Xandar and Zarana, and that's when Monkey Wrench came out and some of the Dreadnoughts. And then you had other great characters like uh, Thrasher and, oh yeah, Sergeant Slaughter. Oh yeah. Not to mention Sepentor. Two of the biggest G.I. Joes that were ever released. Um, Dr. Mindbender was in Series 5 as well. So G.I. Joe, all of the iconic figures we can think of were coming out at this time. So G.I. Joe's February of 1986. I dig it. I, did, I had my fair share of G.I. Joe's. Had them in the, in the bathtub. You know, they always uh, were <laughs> great to have on the... What? <laughs> what were you doing with the Joe's in the bathtub? Man, you got to have the, the, the water fights with their boats and stuff like that, right? Am I the, yeah. not the only one who did stuff like that? Come on. No. Come on. I, I, took, I took them all apart and made new ones. That's exactly what I did. I had a giant plastic tub filled with about 100 Joes all in pieces. They're psychopaths. It's the same thing you did with Masters of the Universe, too. I never, I never fucked with my, my Masters of the Universe guys because I don't know how the hell you get them because it wasn't a rubber band. The G.I. Joes were easy because it was a little black rubber band and a hook so you can like put the <laughs> pants see. on and everything just with that mix and match everything yep yeah all right so what do you guys got i have the release of one of a series of parts of a comic i think you guys might remember this because it was one of the only crossovers that was this big and it was dc versus marvel issue four I mean, nowadays it's worth twenty bucks just for a fucked up copy, but wow. uh, it sold number one for the first two weeks in February. That's my big t- my big piece. It's it sold hundreds of thousands of copies from what I was reading, and uh, it was really it, the plot is kind of stupid. Not gonna lie, uh, Marvel and DC wake up as alive sentient people, gods, so to speak, over their their respective realms, and uh, they pit their own people against each other. So you actually had Marvel fighting DC straight up. So it's a, it was a big crossover for them. Wow. Who did the uh, writing and the artwork for that series? I don't fucking remember. (laughs) (laughs) Great research there, Ben crack team. You're welcome. Team of researchers there. (laughs) Only the best here on the poop. Uh, The author, (laughs) the author was Ron Mars. Oh, okay. Ron Mars. And he's very well known for Batman, DC vs. Marvel, of course, Green Lantern, Silver Surfer, and Witchblade. Nice. It's no Legend of Zelda, but it's pretty close, but no cigar. Pretty big, I would say. (laughs) February 27th of 1996 was the release of Pokemon Red and Blue. Never heard of them. What what did you say it was? Pokemon... Poke monsters. What? I'm pretty sure that this is on the same level as Rick's. Uh, I don't. N- come on, Pokemon and Legend of Zelda. Are you fucking kidding me? It spawned not only TV shows, numerous movies. They have had way more games in the Zelda series. While Zelda is more iconic, Pokemon is made. You just, way and more. you just made my case. Zelda. You just said, Pokemon has you just made, made way more money case. than them. Guaranteed. They had a failed cartoon. That Pokemon has failed. had numerous spinoffs. 
animes, movies, and oh, you're, you're, you're games. Really pulling wow. See, I think if that doesn't sum up what these episodes are really, really all about, is that after all of this, it boils down to Legend of Zelda versus Pokemon. I I think I think we take that to, yeah take that to a poll. We have to we have to. What was the bigger franchise, Zelda or Pokemon? Oh. It's a huge, but it it also depends on what we're looking at too. Because I didn't play Pokemon, like I didn't know anything about it. I played Zelda, but Pokemon's fucking huge. It is, and a lot of people play Pokemon that never got into Zelda. It's a yeah. different style of gameplay, similar. It's, but completely yeah, it, well, different. it's turn-based so. gameplay, yeah. So it's just, I, seeing that, I, I regret not looking deeper because DC versus Marvel was pretty big, but not even a, at half as close as big as the release of the original Pokemons. Yeah, Pokemon's right, so pretty solid. Are you sure that's the original Pokemon? Yeah. February 27th, 1996, Red and Blue, Red was released. Sorry, blue wasn't released until October. So red and green were released February 26th, 27th, 1996. Fuck, I can't speak. Yeah, it's the original release. All right. I say we take it. That's how you go to a poll. I mean, you got to say that those franchises are both fucking massive. They are. And it's pretty close because both of them have become the staples of Nintendo. Uh, Of course, with, you know, the fucking brothers, Mario and Luigi. But Pokemon, Zelda, and Mario are like the three franchises that hold that company together. So, and they both were huge, but in different decades. So I think it's really only fitting that we'd bring it down to Pokemon versus Zelda. What was your choice again, Mark? Mine? Oh, it, it was, you know, just nothing. G.I. Joe? Just G.I. Joe's, you know? No one ever had those or played with those, but... Nobody ever bought a fucking DC versus Marvel fucking comic book. <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> other, my other one was uh, Sega Saturn CD game system came out in February 96. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Good thing you didn't go that route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't have Zelda. Exactly. It didn't last very long. They didn't have Zelda, then yeah. then Pokemon either. How did you not pick Pokemon before you picked the fucking uh, yeah. I didn't even comic think book. to search. I honestly did not even think to search video games because I had gotten into comic books and there was two comic books that were selling like crazy then. And it was DC versus Marvel and Spawn. And Spawn was so big in 1996 that it was selling over 200 units, sending over 200 units just to comic book shops, like on average to every comic book shop. Well, yeah, that's because everybody back then when Image came out, everyone was trying to buy up all the number ones, thinking that the comics were going to make a bounce back. Yeah, but this was so issue now we're all 44, stuck with... dude. Like this was <laughs> no. I'm issue just saying in, in general with Image Comics. Prior. Yeah, that's why Image made it so big is because of the people that put it on. Everyone knew it was going to be a success, so they all wanted to buy those number ones, which way boosted sales. And then people were like, oh well, I might as well read this too. And they realized Spawn and a lot of these other titles were really well written, and it kind of hooked the was audience. Fantastic, yeah. They, that was the release of Spawn forty four and forty five was that month, where he escapes from heaven with the help of Angela, and he's hunted by the new A one Tiffany, and he murders that bitch. Wow. <laughs> See, I would have gone with that over Marvel versus DC. Although Marvel versus DC. Sold way more. It sold way did. more, but quality wise, I don't know. I don't know though. Like hundred thousand doesn't seem like all that much because yeah. that and that's yeah ninety six. 
you're talking about after the death of Superman, after like the whole Venom thing. True. So you have, you know, Marvel and DC were really kind of struggling at this point. They were. This is about with the time when uh, Marvel was uh, having some bankruptcy problems, selling, selling off, off everything. Problems, so. Yeah, they're selling off. Everything. They were really grasping at straws, trying to find something to uh, bring them out of the basement. Well, yeah, when they do a comic with DC (laughs) together. All right, fellow poopers. Unfortunately, that has to end our fun for this episode, but it all depends on you, man. So head over to Twitter, vote on this poll. Who wins this round? Is it going to be Shawbag6 and Carlos of the Be Kind and Rewind podcast? Or is it going to be the home team of the Mama Lukes, Rick Mancrush and myself, Mark James? Which was bigger, The Legend of Zelda or Pokemon. It's all up to you. You guys decide. But head over to www.poopculture.com to check out all the other great shows on the Poop Culture Extended Universe. So until next time, fellow poopers, we bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a great night, everybody. And remember, if you see Kay, tell her I love her. What you just heard was a podcast in the Poop Culture Extended Universe. For more great podcasts, make your way to www.poopculture.com.